Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 130. You noticed that rather address you as the six-pack family, I addressed you as six-pack warriors. There's a reason for that. Since I've been asking you to step up your game to be the warriors for Christ that he expects you to be, I need to step up my own game and treat you like the warriors you're becoming. And that leads into what our Independence Day episode is all about. To my way of thinking, there are three types of Catholics. They're typical Catholics, good Catholics, and real Catholics. By the end of this episode, you'll be able to determine which type of Catholic you are and which you want to become. Hi, this is Christine Niles. I'm a senior producer here at Church Militant. With big tech plowing ahead and censoring conservatives, we encourage you to come to our website, churchmilitant.com. We give you authentic journalism from a Catholic perspective every day. We expose corruption because we're lay Catholics who want to see renewal in the church. So, what are you waiting for? Visit churchmilitant.com today. Let's begin with the typical Catholic. The typical Catholic is more of a cultural Catholic. He or she will attend Mass when the itch needs to be scratched, but most likely only attends for Christmas and Easter. He or she hasn't been to confession in years, either having a justification for the lack of it or simply doesn't see the need. They tend to think they don't really sin in a way that's big enough to bother with a priest or they heretically think they don't need a priest at all. The typical Catholic tends to be sexually active, whether he or she is married or not. Most of them really don't see a need for marriage. After all, it's just a formality, isn't it? So why bother? The typical Catholic who does bother to marry, or is simply shacked up, will most certainly use artificial contraception. If that contraception fails and a pregnancy threatens a career or a relationship, the typical Catholic will be more likely to procure an abortion, thus murdering the preborn child without a second thought. Then there's the typical Catholic who's homosexual or transgender. He or she believes that God made him or her that way, so they really don't have a choice. Rather than observing nature or paying attention to the things taught by the church, they completely reject what is obvious reality in favor of their own passions. The typical Catholic rejects all of the church's teachings, at least the few that they know, because they want to feel good. The only idea of prayer they have is to assign the word damn as God's last name, and they use the sacred name of Jesus as an epithet. Typical Catholics are overwhelmingly Democrat in their politics. They don't seem to understand when Father James Altman quite famously and loudly proclaimed that it's not possible to be a Catholic and a Democrat. They think he's a radical plant for the Republican Party. They simply don't know the Catholic faith. Typical Catholics are very, very dishonest people. You see, hypocrisy is dishonesty. Hypocrisy leads people to think you're something that you're not. Typical Catholics aren't really Catholics at all. 
The best thing they can do for themselves is to either fully repent and become real Catholics, or to be honest enough to leave the Catholic Church altogether. Next, we have the good Catholic. The good Catholic is a hybrid mix of the typical Catholic and a real Catholic. The good Catholic is usually heterosexual and more likely to be married. Despite being a good Catholic, he or she still insists on using artificial contraception. Surprisingly, an amazingly high number of these good Catholics who use artificial contraception claim to be pro-life, despite that all chemical contraceptives are proven to be abortifacient. They kill babies in the womb. After all, why do you think doctors tell you to quit using the contraceptive if you think you're pregnant? At any rate, the good Catholic is a hypocrite about this and several other things, as we'll soon see. The good Catholic is pretty good about attending Mass. Most even go on holy days of obligation. They're not strict about it, though. They attend Mass so long as it doesn't conflict with the other things they want to do. For example, they don't give a thought to their Sunday Mass obligation when they're on vacation or making that semi-annual trip to see Grandma for the weekend. And they don't fulfill their mass obligation when something big comes up, like the annual company picnic or visiting with friends who've come for a visit from far away. The good Catholic doesn't pay the least bit of attention to how they dress for mass. The women dress more like they're going for a night on the town bar hopping or trying to look like teenagers when they aren't. They're apparently only interested in attracting the attention of men. The good Catholic men aren't any better. They dress for Mass in jeans and a shirt in the cooler months and wear short pants to Mass in the summer. Personally, I have a great repugnance for the latter because we live in a society that tries to feminize and marginalize men and short pants wearing men demonstrate that they've been marginalized and feminized. Men, how you dress at home is nobody's business, but how you dress in public is everybody's business. Your mommy quit dressing you in short pants when you were 10 years old. You're not 10 anymore. Be a man and put on some pants. Anyway, I was speaking of how good Catholics dress for Mass. If you were invited to a private audience with the Pope, would any of you good Catholic men and women dress for that audience the way you dress for Mass? Of course you wouldn't. You'd wear the best you have. You might even go out and buy new clothes for that papal audience. If you'll dress in your best for a private audience with the Pope, why won't you show the respect to the Pope's only boss by wearing your best for him? After all, he's really and truly present in the Eucharist, and it's him you're there to worship. Oh, I almost forgot. At least 70% of you good Catholics don't believe in the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist, despite that this is the core doctrine of the Catholic faith. See what I mean about a good Catholic being a hybrid Catholic? And I have a special message for you good Catholic men. You aren't worth a damn at being fathers. You won't discipline your children, and you leave their rearing largely to your wife. When you do try to play a parental role with your kids, it's only to spoil them or to side with them when there's conflict with something their mother is telling them. After all, you can't ever be perceived as the bad guy, can you? Whether you want to admit it or not, you're just a coward. Perhaps you're better off wearing a skirt instead of short pants. 
Good Catholic men, you need to assume your rightful role as the head of your families. It takes courage because the leader isn't always popular, but he is respected and obeyed. Just in case you need a little scriptural backing for this, read the 5th and 6th chapters of Ephesians. That's in the New Testament. Good Catholic men never read the Bible, so that's why I felt I had to tell you. Good Catholics are wholly ignorant of Catholic teaching. They think they know what the Catholic Church teaches, but they don't. But when they spout off something ridiculous as Catholic teaching, and they're challenged by someone with a suggestion that they might need a little remedial catechesis, they always, 100% of the time, always make one of the most two stupid statements I've ever heard a Catholic make. They always indignantly reply with, I'll have you know I went to Catholic school, or I'll have you know I've been a Catholic all my life. So, the immediate response to stupid statements like these should be, do you think you learned the faith by osmosis? Because you certainly haven't been taught the Catholic faith. You don't know it at all. At least that's my desired response. As proof that good Catholics neither know nor understand the Catholic faith, EWTN recently published a survey of Catholics where they told on themselves that 82% of them reject one or more Catholic teachings. In short, that makes those good Catholics heretics. If they had a proper understanding of the divine nature of the Church, something all 8th graders used to know, they wouldn't be heretics now. If you good Catholics want to humble yourselves enough to admit that you don't know what 8th graders used to know, look in my show notes. There's a link that says, I want to learn more about the Catholic Church. Click that link, type in your first name and best email, and I'll give you a free email course with short lessons every three days in your inbox. Of course, I really don't expect good Catholics to respond to this suggestion because good Catholics all overwhelmingly share two traits. They're cowardly and they're comfortable. Admittedly, I'm not one who's able to understand cowardice or comfort. That's why the Joe Sixpack motto is comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. Frankly, I have the same advice for you good Catholics that I had for typical Catholics. If you're not willing to divest yourself of your catechetical ignorance, repent of your lukewarmness, and begin living and acting like real Catholics, do yourself and the Catholic Church a favor by renouncing your hypocrisy and leave the Catholic Church altogether. There are plenty of Protestant churches lacking the fullness of divine truth you can join that do things your way. You'd be more comfortable there as real Catholics begin to stand up and restore the Catholic Church to its pristine self for love of Jesus. That leads us to a discussion of real Catholics, and I like to think that the vast majority of the six-pack warrior nation are real Catholics. Real Catholics all share the same characteristics in their category as typical and good Catholics do in their categories. Real Catholics know, understand, and live our holy and ancient faith as best we can, always, not just when it's convenient. They realize that the primary things in our lives are to know, love, and serve God in this life so we can be happy with Him in the next. God dominates the words that come out of their mouths because we understand that God comes before everything else, even before our spouses and children. 
Real Catholics read scripture, and they know what Vatican II taught because they've actually read the documents rather than depend on what others have said about it. Real Catholics don't just practice the corporal works of mercy and forget about the spiritual works of mercy. For the benefit of you typical and good Catholics, the spiritual works of mercy are to admonish the sinner, instruct the ignorant, counsel the doubtful, comfort the sorrowful, bear wrongs patiently, forgive all injuries, and pray for the living and the dead. In an effort to save souls, they most especially focus on admonishing the Catholic sinner and instructing the Catholic ignorant. Rather than simply participate in the prayers at Mass, real Catholics have an active prayer life. While they pray formulated prayers in the rosary, they also speak to God and the Blessed Virgin Mary from their hearts. They pour out their concerns, both for themselves and others. They realize that their prayers are really heard, and they almost never have their prayers answered as they think they should be, because God always has a better, classier way of answering them. That's one of the things that make living a genuine Catholic life so exciting. Real Catholics pray every day for the Pope, their bishop, and their priest. They pray every day for an end to the evils that have taken over the church in America and an end to the abomination to Almighty God called the USCCB. They pray every day for America herself. Real Catholics understand that it's their moral obligation to share the faith with anyone and everyone they can, especially other Catholics who've never actually been taught. They recognize that their salvation depends on it. So you typical and good Catholics need to be patient with real Catholics when you encounter them. They're just trying to work out their salvation and help you to get to heaven at the same time, although you've made it very clear that you don't want to live in heaven. You typical and good Catholics have made it clear that you'd rather be in hell for all eternity. There's no doubt I'm going to lose some listeners with this episode, you know, the typical and good Catholics. I don't care. People today are all right with truth, as long as it doesn't make them uncomfortable. When they're uncomfortable with divine truth, they want to cancel the truth teller. But the very nature of truth is to make us uncomfortable. If you're not uncomfortable with divine truth, then you're not human, or you don't have a conscience. I'm uncomfortable all the time with divine truth because exposure to it reminds me of my shortcomings and where I need the improvements that I really might not have a desire to make. The Catholic Church in America and America herself are in such bad shape today that it's time for all Catholics to become real Catholics. It's time we all called upon and accepted the graces of our confirmation. That's what it's for. It's time that we begin to live with the zeal, courage, and boldness of the first century Catholic. Indeed, it's time that we begin to pray for martyrdom, because it's probably coming whether we want it or not. Remember, comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. As you know, I don't like asking for your financial support. I always want a win-win situation whenever possible. Well, I've got a way for you to help this apostolate without you having to do anything you're not already doing. Everybody shops on Amazon. I've developed an affiliate relationship with Amazon. 
When you visit cantankerouscatholic.com and click on the episodes page, blog page, or about the show page, on the right-hand side of the page you'll see Amazon ads for Catholic books and merchandise. There's no price difference from Amazon's site, but if you click on something you're interested in and buy it, Amazon will pay me a small commission just for you clicking on that ad. It doesn't stop there either. Anytime you're on Amazon and find things you want to buy, send me the link to the items and I'll send you another link to click when you're ready to buy. You won't pay a dime more for the item, but Amazon will pay me a commission. That way you can help to financially support this apostolate just by doing what you were going to do anyway. Remember, Visit the episodes, blog, and about the show pages to find Catholic books and merchandise, and send me links to other things you want to buy on Amazon, and I'll send you the links that will pay this apostle at a small commission. And I thank you in advance for your support. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. Pope Francis wrote an approving letter to the controversial pro-LGBT priest, Father James Martin. I want to thank you for your pastoral zeal and your ability to be close to people, Francis wrote to Martin. I pray for you to continue this way, being close, compassionate, and with great tenderness. Martin shared the handwritten letter with his followers on social media. What? You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to Breitbart. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy released the Republican framework for fighting censorship from big tech companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Apple. Among the items under consideration is strengthening antitrust laws that would aim to empower state attorneys general rather than the Federal Trade Commission so that litigation could proceed more quickly. Amen! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 3 Hats off to the Daily Wire. Democrat politicians and the media harshly criticized Governor Ron DeSantis over his response to the building collapse in Miami. Their criticisms, however, were so misinformed that a number of Democrats in Florida came to the governor's defense. Not only has the state of Florida been here in force, we've not lacked for any support, said the Miami-Dade mayor, who is a Democrat. All right! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 2 Hats off to the Hill Toyota went viral over the weekend after progressive activist group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics reported the car manufacturer made large donations to Republican lawmakers who voted against certifying Joe Biden's election as president in 2020. Much of corporate America changed its political donations this year under the pressure from the left. Toyota didn't follow that suit. 
Toyota supports candidates based on their position on issues that are important to the auto industry and the company, a company spokesperson stated. (laughs) You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to the Washington Examiner. While many on the left are proposing universal child care to get women back to work after the lockdowns, Claire Ann Aff argued at the Washington Examiner that America needs true pro-family policies that allow one parent to stay home with children. Children spending more time with their parents is a good thing. Strong families will lead to a stronger nation, and it is due time we begin investing in America's families, she wrote. That's what I'm talking about. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. Jesus said many wonderful, amazing, and profound things during his three-year public ministry. He said things no one had ever said before, anytime, anywhere. We 21st century Christians take the profundity of his words for granted. After all, we grew up hearing them, and they certainly didn't seem all that profound when we were kids. Think about it, though. Jesus, this Jewish man roaming around Israel, told us that he is God. He told us that he would give us his body and blood for the nourishment of our souls. This Jesus, who was from all appearances just another man, just a common man, forgave sins. He told his apostles they could forgive sins in his name. He told us we could do greater things than him if we just acted with faith. But none of those things were among his most profound words. He gave us the most profound statement of his ministry during his Sermon on the Mount, which covers almost three chapters in Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. In Matthew 5:48, we find Jesus' most profound statement ever made. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Think about that statement for a moment. It requires a lot of reflection. Break it down. He said we must be perfect. That's not a suggestion or a mere goal to strive for. Because of the word must, it's a command. And he doesn't merely tell us to be perfect. He places a qualification on it. He tells us we must be perfect, but how perfect? As perfect as the Father in heaven. Wow! How perfect is the Father in heaven? He's infinitely perfect. My first thought when I began to think about this command was, hey, let's be reasonable here. 
How in the world can I become infinitely perfect? Only a complete moron would believe he could become perfect at all, much less infinitely perfect. Don't we all commonly say nobody's perfect and that there was only one perfect man in the world? I know I've been guilty of those statements. And I was ignorant, arrogant, and a little bit stupid for saying them. Jesus never gave us any sort of command to obey that can't be achieved. But how in the world can you obey his command to be as perfect as God the Father? Simply stated, we can't, by our own power. We can obey this command, though, and Jesus has given us all we need to become perfect. Let's begin by defining perfection. To be perfect is to be a saint. All of the saints were perfect at least by the moment of their deaths, and they were infinitely perfect. Several times the Bible tells us that we would be like gods. Telling us that makes no sense at all unless we consider Jesus' command for us to be perfect. To be perfect is to be like God. In other words, to be perfect is to be restored to our original state prior to the fall of man, original sin. Prior to the fall of man, we had special qualities as a consequence of man's original perfection and will reacquire all these special qualities after the resurrection at the end of the world, provided we find ourselves saved. Those qualities are called impassibility, brightness, agility, and subtility. Impassibility means that the resurrected body will never know pain nor inconvenience of any kind. Neither cold nor heat nor pain nor sickness will have any effect on the body whatsoever. Brightness is that property of the glorified body that makes us shine like the sun, just as Jesus did in his transfiguration. Agility frees the body from all material burden. With agility, the body can move more freely than anyone can imagine. You may be in one place and, by an act of your will alone, simply cease being in that one place and instantaneously find yourself wherever you will. Agility also covers what's called bilocation, the ability to be in more than one place at the same time. Subtility is what St. Paul calls the spiritual body. Through subtility, the glorified body will be completely under the control of the spirit and will be fully obedient to the soul. Do any of these special qualities sound familiar to you? They should. Jesus demonstrated all of them himself during his public ministry. But he's God, you say, and you're right. However, if you know anything about the lives of the saints, you'll recognize that many of them demonstrated one or more of these same gifts during their lives, and so can you, if God sees a need while you're striving for perfection. Don't strive for the gifts, though. That's wrong, just plain wrong. None of the saints strove for these gifts. They strove for sanctity. They were rewarded with gifts by God when they needed them. They first became holy, perfect. And you don't have to be a priest, nun, or monastic to achieve this perfection. There are hundreds of canonized saints who were among the laity, and thousands more who were never canonized. But how does one become holy? Beginning on the road to perfection comes by humble acceptance of the graces God offers us. 
God offers us grace in two forms, actual and sanctifying. Actual grace is a divine enlightenment of our mind and a strengthening of our will to help us choose what's right and avoid evil. Without actual grace, it's impossible for us to do anything that's pleasing to God. The mere fact that you're listening to this is a sign that you're accepting actual graces being offered to you to advance your knowledge in our holy faith. Sanctifying grace, simply stated, is God's life in us. It's a supernatural quality infused into our soul at baptism. Sanctifying grace gives us a share in the divine life and allows us to become a temple of the Holy Spirit, God's friend, and an heir of heaven. It also makes possible the ability for us to merit heavenly rewards for our good actions. Sanctifying grace is absolutely necessary for salvation because it makes us pleasing to God, and only this type of grace makes it possible for us to attain heaven. So when we say we're in a state of grace, it means we're in a state of friendship with God. That is, we have sanctifying grace in our soul and are worthy of heaven usually after a period of purification and purgatory, unless we've managed to obey Christ's command to become perfect. However, sanctifying grace can be lost, and we lose it with the commission of a mortal sin, every mortal sin, even if you don't like what the church says is sinful. The way we recover our state of grace, to again be filled with sanctifying grace, is by making a good confession and receiving absolution from the priest in confession. Now here is where striving for perfection comes in. It's not enough to merely be in a state of grace. We must increase the sanctifying grace in our soul at every opportunity. Each time we increase sanctifying grace in our soul, we become closer to God, closer to perfection. Increasing sanctifying grace is done by performing good works for Jesus' sake, prayer, not just formulated, but also heart-to-heart conversations with God, and devout reception of the sacraments, especially frequent confession and the Holy Eucharist. There is an alternative to striving to obey Jesus' command for us to become perfect. That alternative, most unfortunately, is the route taken by most Catholics in the world today, being lukewarm. But being lukewarm is quite dangerous. Jesus said, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Lukewarmness versus being on fire for him. Hmm, let me think about that for a moment. Oops, no contest. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Jerome. He said, Either we must speak as we dress or dress as we speak. Why do we profess one thing and display another? The tongue talks of chastity, but the whole body reveals impurity. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. 
Tom was spending his summer break on his uncle's farm. There were a lot of things he liked to do on the farm. On Sunday, though, he grumbled because they had such a long way to go to Mass. Tom's uncle said nothing, but on market day, he brought home a bag with seven large, juicy peaches from his own orchard and gave them to Tom. Tom thanked him for the peaches, and when his uncle asked if he could spare one of the peaches, he replied, Sure, uncle, take as many as you want. After all, they came from your orchard. Tom handed the bag to his uncle so he could help himself. I see you're more generous to me than you are to the good God who gave us these peaches, the farmer remarked. What do you mean, uncle? You don't begrudge me a share of the fruit I've given you, and yet when God asks for one of the seven days he's given you to, to worship and thank him, you grumble and complain. Tom never complained again. Since God is your creator, he has a right to your worship. The way he wants to be worshipped is in the Mass. You join Jesus in his sacrifice on Calvary, which is renewed on the altar in Mass. The sacrifice gives God perfect adoration, thanksgiving, and atonement. It's the best prayer you can offer God, and he demands it on at least Sunday and the Holy Days of Obligation. Don't be unfair to God as Tom was when it's sometimes difficult to go to Mass. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It. 